All right, who's excited to be at church today? Outstanding. If Jesus showed up in the flesh, he would be at Chick-fil-A. He would be at Chick-fil-A, and I have found as a pastor, and for rightful reasons, some Christ followers love them, some Chick-fil-A. And uh, back in the day, a few years ago, there was a competition as to who had the best spicy chicken sandwich, Popeye's chicken or, or Chick-fil-A, which I, uh, I love both. I went and did the taste test, and both were fantastic, uh, but I voted Popeye's. And I put that on social media, and I had a lot of people upset with me. The brand loyalty to Chick-fil-A when, when it comes to the community of faith is pretty high, right? And uh, shout out to Chick-fil-A, and thank you for keeping your doors closed on Sunday so our folks show up to church, right? Everyone just excited to be at church? Like, you did it. You got through another week, right? Sometimes that is the goal. Right In the world that we live in and kind of the, the things that come our way, it, it's taking Christ by the hand, walking daily with him at work in our life, that you discover, hey, he's with you, he's for you, and he's going to carry you through in moments that you need carrying. And other times, he'll just be there to, to cheer you on as you thrive in this life. And whatever your week has looked like, uh, we are thrilled that you would join us, whether you are here in the room or whether you are at one of our many campuses, which if you are at one of our campuses and you're showing up for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on? I'm watching this guy on TV. And you should know that none of this centers around anyone who's on screen, on platform, or even in the chairs. It all centers around the one who is seated high and lifted up on the throne, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you don't need me there to experience him in your life. And that is really the, the heartbeat behind this series, bumping into Jesus, bumping into uh, an extravagant grace in unexpected places. I love that about our God, that you can just find him in unexpected places. And he is not restrained to spaces such as this, but he can he can even work in spaces like our partnerships with God Behind Bars and all the men and women who are gathering with us in different prisons across our state. Can we celebrate them and just love on them? You are family, and uh, we believe and we are convinced that God is at work among you uh, as you gather, just as he is at work among us. And maybe you're watching online. Would you just lean into the possibility that our God is awesome. Unapologetically, he's so cool. Uh, I mean, come on, we, we're sometimes we're just playing it safe in our proclamation of who our God is, right? And sometimes we've become so polished in our faith that we just lose the awe and the wonder, the times that we don't have it all put together, the times that we don't have the language. It's just like, no, he's, he's awesome. I love this guy, right? That's why I celebrate the goodness of God. And you should know if you ever show up to one of our locations and I'm speaking, I'm going to try to project onto you as much enthusiasm about this God because he is unparalleled. There's no one like him. And if you were to lean into this God, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he'll radically alter your life in a way that will leave you forever changed, in a way that will leave you so hungry for more of his work in your life. And so I'm excited as always. And you should know where we're going. Today we're going to talk about three things, and here's what we're talking about. Smirking, forgery, and buoyancy. That's where we're going to go today. 
And chances are that has you thinking, what in the world, right? You ever looked at something and thought it was bizarre? Heard something and thought it was strange? And you asked yourself the question, what in the world? What am I looking at? What am I taking in? This is strange. This is bizarre. This is out of the norm, right? What in the world? I find myself thinking that often because, well, I'm a, a, a father of four kids, 12, 10, 8, and 3. And sometimes you just find yourself observing your children and thinking, my goodness, how did I co-create that, right? That's partly my doing, right? And what in the world? And I also find myself thinking that when it comes to matters of the faith. I find myself opening up the pages of Scripture, and if I'm honest, I just can't help but think, wow, what is happening in the pages of Scripture? Have you ever been amazed, even at times, I don't know, awestruck? Have you ever came across anything in your faith that was out of the ordinary, maybe even a little bizarre? I think, personally, you and I, as followers of Christ, we lose credibility with those who don't believe what we believe when we stop acknowledging that there are some things about our faith that are a little unique. Sometimes they're even a little bizarre. Nonetheless, we receive them in faith. Are you tracking with me? There are some things in our faith following Christ that, what's well, a little strange? Like, do you remember the first time you showed up to church? Someone brought you into a space like this, and for the first time you were introduced to the community of faith. Chances are there are some things about this gathering and, and how we function as followers of Christ that you thought, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, some of you right now, you're, you're gathering with us and you are thinking to yourself, I don't know what I just got myself into. This is kind of weird. I mean, the music started going and before I knew it, the people in my row had some questions. Like they were raising their hands and... <laughs> And I don't know what's going on. Maybe we should take the questions because everyone else seems confused, right? <laughs> Remember the first time you witnessed some of these things in, in the faith and you're like, what did I get myself into? Sometimes it's kind of strange. But that doesn't diminish its effectiveness and the beauty of what it accomplishes in our life. Sometimes something can be strange. It be a good thing, a healthy thing, a productive thing. I mean, think about growing up, my mom went through a season where she subscribed to all of Richard Simmons' workout videos. <laughs> Sounds like some of you were fans as well. Which is a weird experience if you're a kid. You come walking into the room and your mom is there sweating to the oldies with Richard Simmons. This big old fro, has a perm and uh, some little itty bitty shorts. Tank top on, talking about ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low. And he's dancing, and your mom is dancing with him. But it worked. Homegirl got in shape. And uh, <laughs> shout out to you, mom. You still look good. And I think sometimes there are some things in our faith that are a little strange. And I would caution the skeptic in the room not to take your criticism too far. Just pump the brakes a little bit before you go off the deep end with your logic. For example, yes, some of us raise our hands in worship. I certainly do. I give it all to God, right? I just, I throw it all out there. I'm excited about them. And some will say, well, that's strange. And I think, well, that's sometimes you just respond to music. 
It's really not that strange if you fully think about it. Like if you listen to hip hop music, that causes some people to break dance, even try to spin on their head. Doesn't make this seem so bad. <laughs> if you listen to country music, well, sometimes the folks who subscribe to that lack a little bit of rhythm. And so we just dance in a line, right? And, and you just get your boot scootin' boogie on in a line. That's how you dance. If it's rock music, you headbang. Well, when we are celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, sometimes it's like this. And sometimes it's with some passion. And for me, sometimes it comes with some tears in my eyes. And it may be strange to some of you, and I'm spending some time on this. But I promise you, this God is, man, he's terrific. Man, he's terrific. And I want you to experience him in your life. I want you to find yourself unapologetically, fully surrendering all to him and saying, I'm passionately, I'm passionately going after this Jesus. I've anchored my life. I've anchored my hope. I've anchored my identity. I've anchored it all to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I place my faith in him. And church, here's what you have to understand is nothing impacts your future more than your faith. Nothing impacts your future more than your faith. Some will say, well, how explain that? And scripture says that there comes a point where we all meet our maker. And the number one distinction on our lives is, well, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And it is our faith that has such a tremendous impact on our life that you and I, we don't, we don't live with a, a wishful thinking. We live with faithful thinking, right? That you don't have to live with good vibes, which I sometimes get a kick out of that. Individuals want to embrace the idea of prayer, but in our culture, they just can't call it prayer. So they'll say, hey, would you just send up some good vibes? Which <laughs> is not to offend anybody, but you should know that you don't have to aimlessly project positive thoughts out into the middle of nowhere. Uh, the difference between your vibes and my prayers is I know exactly where mine land. They land at the feet of God, and he is attentive to my heart. Amen. I, I send out prayers to the God of heaven that you can, well, you can make a wish. You can blow out some candles and throw a penny in a pond, and, and you can look for a falling star. But it's not until you fully surrender your life to the cause of Christ. Embracing him as your Lord and Savior and doing away with the wishful thinking that you can embrace a faithful thinking. My God is good. My God is for me. My God is with me. And I trust him. And I trust him. And my faith, it, it is the constant in my life. Another way of thinking about faith and something to understand is a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. So I'm, I'm, I'm leading you into a thought here, but understand this. Your confidence in your faith will come through some confusion and some conflicts with your faith. A, a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. At some point, you have to discover that, well, God meant what he said. You see, a lot of people believe in God, but they don't believe God. You tracking with me? A lot of people believe in God, but they don't believe God. In other words, I believe there's a higher power, but I also trust that he's good and he's a person of integrity and I can take him at his word. And if he said it, so be it. I believe it. 
Well, understand a lot of his promises are tied to our problems. So you are more than a conqueror. I love this idea. Okay, well, to be more than a conqueror, you have to conquer something. Right? You, you have to go through something. You have to face a storm, endure a challenge, grapple with some pain, have your heart broken, walk through confusion, all to discover my faith was tested, and through it emerged a greater confidence in its value and its benefit in my life. A faith that can be tested is a faith that can be trusted. And Peter in the Bible was always finding himself in the test. But you ever found that life is a brutal teacher? Life will give you the test first and then the lesson afterwards. That's a brutal teacher. For those of you in the education system, don't do that, right? But life does that. The test comes first and the lesson follows. And that's the case for Peter a lot of times. In Scripture, we find this. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, immediately. Someone say immediately. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Folks, if Jesus prayed, you ought to pray. If the Son of God thought prayer was important, you ought to think prayer is important. And you should know he dismisses the crowd and he goes away to be alone and it wasn't to get rid of people. It was to get ready for people. Some of you, be careful you don't form a, I don't know, a wonky form of self-righteousness that causes you to isolate yourself from the world around you. Yes, at times you need to retreat and replenish, but it is also that God can do something in your life because your faith comes down to basic economics, deposits and withdrawals, and you have to allow God to do something in you all before God can do something through you. So he would retreat not to get rid of people, but to get ready for people. Are, are you getting ready for God to use you? Are you leaning into the possibility that God is doing something in you with the intent to get something out of you? He says he went away to pray, and now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary goes on to say, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Because again, he's awesome. And sometimes we read scripture, we'll just blow through a passage like this, and we skip over the fact that this guy's walking on the water. What in the world is going on, Right? goes on and says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, which don't judge these fellas. If I seen someone walking on the sea, I'd probably stroke out too. Like, I'm glad God does not talk to me audibly. Like, some people are like, do you hear from God? I think so. And, and gentle, subtle, just concise and clear impressions on my heart. Some people have said they've heard God audibly from the sky. And that can happen. Personally, I'm glad God does not talk to me like that. I'd freak out. Anyone else, if you heard a thundering voice from heaven, sound like Morgan Freeman just interrupting your coffee, <laughs> you'd have a hard time. Don't judge these guys. They said, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. 
It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down, which you should know, sometimes a step of faith feels like a step down. Ooh, that'll preach, and that's not even in my notes. <laughs> sometimes a step of faith feels like a step down. Sometimes you have to give up to go up, and God might be saying, hey, if you would create some margin within your hands, I may trust you to carry something bigger. Ooh, church, come on. <laughs> Says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Wow, what a passage. But do you find yourself thinking, what in the world did we just read? What in the world? I love talking about faith. I find that there's a lot of misconceptions around the idea of faith. And here's three things that you need to understand about faith. The first, faith is not a blind leap. Faith is not a blind leap. Some have been convinced of this. No, scripture says God's word is a lamp unto your feet, right? That God may not illuminate the full path, but he will illuminate the next step. And so sometimes individuals have subscribed to a way of thinking that God just, well, puts us in a place where we have no idea what he's doing. And we're just supposed to run around without reason and just taking blind leaps. That's not the case. There will always be a subtle illumination as to what your next step is, even if you don't fully know what the full path looks like. I think faith looks more like a, well, it functions more like a compass than a map. It functions more like a compass than a map. It's not saying, hey, we're going to take this road, turn a left here, and head straight for two miles, and then hang a right. It's saying, no, I, I think somewhere in that direction, <laughs> right, which that's kind of been my pursuit of Jesus, there's a lot of details I haven't known, but there's been a confidence in me that has said it's, it's somewhere in that direction. It's not a blind leap, and you should know that. That's not what Jesus is calling you to. In addition to that, it's not a blank check. Well, pastor, scripture says, I can do all things. Yeah, but there's another portion to that scripture. Don't forget the other half. I can do all things through Christ. And so, yes, you have tremendous ability and God desires to do great things in and through your life, but you have to run it through Christ, right? It's not a blank check. It's just not going out there doing whatever you want and expecting God to permit it and give you the ability to accomplish it. It's not a blank check. But I am convinced faith is without a doubt the best choice. It's the best choice you can make. And I think if you're new to Northview, and you were to have some conversations, join a group, go to the next you know, class, 
and have some conversations with those seated among you, you would find that individuals have embraced this faith and it has been the number one contributor to the, the well-being, the health of their relationships, the confidence in their purpose. They would find that there's no doubt this is the best choice you can make. Anchor in your heart, anchor in your hope, and anchor in your identity to Jesus Christ. And so here Jesus, he goes walking out to them on the water in the middle of the storm. And my question always is, I mean, what was the body language? What was the facial expressions? Like when you see Jesus walking on the water, how does he appear in your mind? For me, there's no doubt, Jesus is smirking. Come on, you're walking out on the water, and they have no idea. He's like, they're going to freak out when they see this. <laughs> there wasn't just a subtle smirk. This is going to be awesome. I think sometimes we overlook the smirk of Scripture. I love that the first thing out of Jesus' mouth be of good cheer. At times, Jesus almost seems tone deaf to our issues. Jesus, we're in the middle of a storm, and Jesus is smiling, being like, guys, cheer up. Would you just be of good cheer? There's a smirk that if you pay attention, it's all throughout Scripture. I had me think about a conversation I had with my boys a couple years ago, they were a little bit younger, and we were at the grocery store. Had to get some, some food, and so we got some grapes and some broccoli, a, just a basic order that mom sent us to the store with. And we check out, and it was $37. Lady says, $37, and I pull out my wallet. Well, at the time, for my youngest, $37 was like, what? Right? So he starts freaking out. He's like, Dad, $37? And he turns to his brother and he's like, Cannon, dad just spent $37, right? And Cannon jumps on board and they're like, we're balling. We are balling out of control, right? 37, and for them it was, it was a big deal. And chances are, like some of you even now, you're, you're smirking just as I was. Oh, you have no idea, Right? This is a big moment to you, and I want you to understand the importance, so I'm not going to let you all in. It's cute what you're thinking, but you should know, well, a lot of things cost more than $37. <laughs> there, there's a smirk. Have you ever noticed that when you get together with your families and you start talking about family stories, the things you laugh about once used to be really traumatic experiences in your family? Like, you get together, and you're like, hey, remember when Josh dated that crazy girl from Purdue, and mom couldn't stand her? And everyone's laughing, but when Josh was dating homegirl from Purdue, it was drama in the house, right? <laughs> hey, remember that one time Amanda backed into the light pole with dad's car, and dad lost his mind, and everyone's laughing around the table? You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is the case in our family. We get together and we die laughing, and all the things we laugh about are things we freaked out about. Have you ever noticed that? Like, one of our family stories, when I was nine years old, I seen on TV a kid ran away. So I was like, I'm going to try that out. 
So one day, and I don't even know what I was upset about. I just walked out the door like, I'm out of here. I had no place to go. I didn't have a vehicle, no ride, no plans. So I walked out the door and hung a left and went around back and into our garage. <laughs> we had a little basketball hoop set up there in the garage, and I just went inside the garage and started playing basketball. I'm nine years old, took a break from playing basketball, and apparently I fell asleep just there in the garage. Unbeknown to me, there is a neighborhood search out for a nine-year-old runaway. And the cops and everybody are involved looking for this runaway kid. And, I mean, I grew up in the generation where we got spanked. I don't know how popular it is to talk about that. Um, but that is how I was raised. And, man, was that night a doozy for me, right? <laughs> Just a doozy. Nonetheless, what was a terrible moment is something we get together and we're like, man, that was funny. That was funny. When you read through the pages of Scripture, I can't help but just pick up on this smirk where it's as if God is telling family stories. Man, there's this one time your uncle Samson fell for this lady. She convinced him to cut his hair off. It was crazy. <laughs> the smirk of Scripture. See, you're tracking with me. I think one of the most Christ-like things you could do is relax, smile, and go take a nap. Just, whew. I think Jesus is showing up saying, guys, this is a big deal, and it seems like a real big problem right now. But you and me, you trust me, we're going to get down the road. We'll laugh about this. I mean, how much longer after they get back in the boat were they laughing? I mean, how much longer were they poking fun? Peter, you should have seen what you look like, right? Peter's calling them chickens. They're all making fun of Jesus. Hey, guys, who am I? You of little faith, right? I just get, like, in the moment, they would have been having so much fun. Guys, you overlook sometimes the first announcement of Jesus' arrival. Jesus shows up. What's the first announcement that goes forward? Joy. To the world. I'm just telling you, as Christians, we ought to smile a little bit more. And if you can't smile, at least smirk. <laughs> Which raises the question, maybe, just maybe, you're going to get down the road and you're going to value what you're going through. And you're going to find you got something out of it. And if that's the case, why not accelerate your learning? And so instead of asking the question, when am I going to get out of this? Maybe you should ask the question, what am I going to get out of this? Because at some point, I'm going to get down the road and me and God are going to, we're going to cherish this moment. The next thing I think it's important to talk about is forgery. In this moment, many will assume that Peter's nuts. He's an adrenaline junkie. He's out there just doing something crazy because that's what Peter does. But in all reality, this is actually, well, this is a great example of discernment. Peter has a level of discernment that the other guys in the boat don't have. Why? Because this isn't the first time Jesus has called Peter out of a boat. This is not the first time Jesus called Peter out of a boat. So Peter finds himself in a boat and potentially engaging with a moment with Christ. And he says, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
I'm familiar with these type of commands. I understand moments like this. Peter had a handle. He called me out of a boat once before. Chances are he'll do it again. And Peter in this moment looks for verification. He verifies it. If it is you, call me to come onto the water. Hey, if you command it, so be it. And what I think we're, we're getting away from it, and next generation, listen, we're, we're getting too far from this, and we got to be careful. You have to verify it before you justify it. Our, our biblical illiteracy is becoming extremely problematic. And so what happens is, is we just, well, we just marry the spirit of the age. And he who marries the spirit of the age will eventually become a widow. This vogue way of thinking will pass. And so it's rooting yourself in a a conscious conviction that I anchor my life to the promises, the principles, and the commands of God. And so I don't justify what I want, and I don't justify, you you know, what my peers want. And I don't justify my attitude and behavior according to what culture seems to want. No, I verify it with the word of God. If it is you, call me to come to you onto the water. It's amazing to me that we are, we're getting away from just a confident grasp on the word of God. My prayer every single week, God, would you help me to say something that would intrigue the hearts and minds of people to open their own Bibles? I pray that you would leave a gathering here at Northview and think to yourself, I got to start reading my Bible. I, I just pray that you would find so much joy, so much love, and so much passion for the Word of God. And if I don't set you up for a greater appetite and adoration for the Word of God, quite honestly, I think I've failed you. God's word, it's, it's amazing. And because we lack literacy in this area, well, people are getting away with forgery. People are getting away with forgery. And so we have to be careful that we are not chasing counterfeit promptings, counterfeit commands, counterfeit, you know, just promises. Because sometimes Satan's lies are full of truth and it could sound like a God thing, but it's not a God thing. And so you have to learn to verify before you trust it and justify it. In addition to that, be very mindful about the things that you proclaim in your own faith. Get God's declaration before you make a proclamation. Before you speak on behalf of God, make sure your words align with his. Otherwise, you too, myself included, we fall into spiritual forgery. And I just think this is such a precious moment where Peter demonstrates for us, this is how you discern the word of God and the will of God in this complicated world. What's amazing to me is Jesus shows up, middle of the storm. It's been a rough night. It's the fourth, night, fourth hour, fourth watch of the night is what scripture says, meaning they've been stuck in this for a while. And what does Peter ask? He doesn't say, good, you're here. Can you do something about all of this? Is that how your prayers tend to look sometimes? 
Sometimes I'm petty in my prayers too. I go to God, I'm like, what are you going to do about this? I have all these issues, right? But what's amazing about Peter, guys, is Peter didn't ask for intervention. Peter asked for an invitation. Think about this. They're in the middle of a storm. And Peter doesn't say, thank you, Jesus. Can you bring this all to an end? Can you do away with this problem? No, Peter thinks, I want in on it. I can see you're up to something. I don't fully understand it. But if it's you, I want to play a part. I think sometimes we can go through life and the storms around us can be overwhelmed, overwhelming. We're, we're buffeted by the waves and the wind is just tormenting us. And we find ourselves caught in a storm. And our prayer is, God, do away with the storm. A lot of times we're not praying, God, help me sense what you're doing in the middle of the storm. And would you increase my faith also that I am willing to courageously participate in what you're doing? I think we can almost redeem that statement, what in the world? A lot of times we say that when we're flabbergasted. A lot of times we say that when we're frustrated. What in the world? But what would happen if we poured some faith on that statement? And we started living with eyes wide open thinking, what in the world is my Jesus doing for such a time as this? And why did he put me on this planet in this time of history? What is he trying to accomplish through my life? Because God knew when the world would need a Billy Graham. And God knew when the world would need a Mother Teresa. And God knew when the world would need Martin Luther King Jr. And God knew when the world would need you. So what in the world is God trying to attach your purpose to? And it's just saying, God, I am anchoring my heart to discerning your word and your will for my life. So there's smirking, there's forgery, and lastly, there's buoyancy. Peter steps out all to discover he floats. <laughs> you ever found that your hope floats? This may be one of the most overlooked, I don't know, byproducts or gifts in our faith. There is an emotional, spiritual, psychological buoyancy to our faith that you just find that, hey, I got into some things, but I didn't drown. And though it seemed overwhelming, I, I somehow came through it. And yeah, that was a tumultuous year and yeah, that was a crazy crisis, but somehow my faith in God kept me above the waves that were crashing down. There's, there's a buoyancy. Your faith, it, it floats. You ever found that? It's an interesting thing to think about, but have you ever found that somehow your faith keeps you above water when you think you're going to drown? It just keeps you above water. When you think you're going to drown, which is impressive to me because I'm a dense person. I can't flow. <laughs> Anyone else you find that to be the problem? You cannot tread water to save your life. Like the moment you're in, you're down. And, um, but you should know if you anchor your heart and you surrender your life to Christ and you live by faith, storms will come your way. Cray waves will crash against you. 
The wind will swirl around you, but you'll float. And what's amazing is Jesus comes to him and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And what is Jesus poking on? He's poking on his faith, right? He's poking on like, why did you, why did you throw in the towel? Why did you get distracted? Why did you lose heart? Why did you lose faith? And here's the thing. What was Jesus addressing in his faith? Was he talking about the quality of his faith? Was he talking about the quantity of his faith? In all reality, the quality proved that it was good enough. He actually took some steps on the water. The quantity proved that he had enough. He actually, again, took some steps on the water. So here's the deal. Jesus wasn't talking about the quality or the quantity of his faith. So if that's the case, what was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about the duration of his faith. Track with me on this. Jesus is saying, Peter, what you were doing, it was working. What you were doing, it was working. Why'd you quit? Why'd you doubt? What, God didn't heal your marriage after two counseling sessions? You just quit? It was working. You get what I'm saying? Like, you can go on and on down the list. Yeah, some unexpected bills came in and it kind of slowed you down on paying off that debt. But why did you quit? It was working. Yeah, 2020 and now 2021 threw you out of a rhythm and it came with some confusion. But there was a time prior to all of this madness that you were anchored in your faith and God was doing something in your life. God was touching your marriage and God was filling you with just fulfillment. God was utilizing you in your community. You were seeing the favor of God on your kids. It was working. And then you got distracted. You need to start paying attention to what every news outlet wanted you to pay attention to. And then you started paying attention to what everyone at work was telling you to pay attention to. And before you knew it, the winds were contrary and the winds were boisterous and you began to doubt. But it was working. I wonder how many of you, you, you dropped the towel of your faith over the last year and a half. And what's amazing is the moment Peter cries out, immediately, Jesus sticks out his hand. And Jesus just wants him to know, hey, it was working. And it still works. It was working. And it still works. Someone online, it was working. And it still works at Kokomo, Benford, Anderson, Florida, all of our campuses. It was working. And it still works. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of the universe, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He is in full control. Full control. Faith 
works. It works. But church, faith takes works. Faith works, but it takes work. And there's three things that this passage tells us about the wind that was causing all of it. It says the waves were against them because of the wind. And it says the wind was contrary, right? But you should know that if you live for Christ, there's always going to be contradictions. Some people are like, man, life was so much better before I started following Christ. Well, yeah, because Satan didn't have to attack you when you were self-sabotaging on your own. But I'm convinced the birthmark of a follower of Christ is a target, and it enlarges the closer and closer you get to your purpose because high pressure comes with close purpose. There's a contradiction. Culture is going to contradict what we believe. Your friends are going to contradict what we believe. Our world's going to contradict what you believe. But guess what? It's not the first time the gospel has stood toe-to-toe with an opposition. And guess what? The gospel still stands. But all the opposition throughout the ages has fallen by the wayside. Our God is a big deal. He's a big deal, church. And so whatever contradicts our God... So be it. It was contrary. And it was boisterous. Which we forgot over the last year and a half. That the loudest voice is rarely the wisest voice. Oh my goodness. Come on, church. The wisest voice is rarely the loudest. I mean, the loudest voice is rarely the wisest voice. And so sometimes it's. It's doing away with the noise. The wind was boisterous. My God is bigger. And at some point, we're going to laugh about this. So I'm going to face it with a smirk on my face. So the wind was contrary. And the wind was boisterous. And lastly, what happened? The wind ceased. The wind ran out of gas. And your problem, it runs out of gas. But your God is forever faithful. Faith works. Your problem, your storm, I'm telling you right now, that that gas light just came on. You might be in the fourth wash, but you hang on. You don't doubt because your faith, it's working. And your wind, church, it's running out of gas. But we have an eternal source that carries us through to the end. Why are you doubting when our God is this big of a deal? My goodness. I'd love to pray with you. And at this time, we're going to pass it back to all of our campuses. And we're going to pray together as a church. And so as leadership comes forward to pray, I'm going to ask those in the room to stand to your feet as we pray together. Someone say, faith works. I'm telling you, it's the most important thing. It has the biggest impact on your future. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your brilliance. We thank you for your strength. And we thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your outstretched hand that immediately awaits ours. All we got to do is cry out and ask. God, give us the ability, give us the ability 
to take you at your word? Would you increase our level of faith and bring, that, that, bring back that audacity to say yes? God, would you help us cheer up a little bit and take on the joy you came to deliver? God, would you help us develop greater levels of discernment in a world that is contrary? Help us seek verification before justification. And God, would you just give us so much joy and excitement knowing that there's a buoyancy to our faith and it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name, amen.